What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Tiskin Podcast. Mike, how are you doing? Oh, you know, I'm uh, excited to be here, though I could be a bit more arrested. Yeah. These things that could yeah. happen. Well, that, and I, I bet everybody else is probably feeling similar with the, the way the space, space Marine meta is shaping up at the moment. You know, it is a load on my back having to think of all these creative ways to deal with that. You know, I'm not the, uh, I don't think you're the only person. I think there's a lot of folks that are just trying to figure out how to deal with that damn iron hands list. And the fact that uh, it was, I think, eight out of nine tournaments that were GT size or bigger this weekend were won by iron hands. Uh, I guess, I guess where we start here on this topic is where what was GW thinking? Let me try and ask the questions that I think everybody else is kind of <laughs> voicing out there. So what do you think GW was thinking with this release? So I think that as often occurs with GW releases, um, especially when they're getting them sort of back to back to back to back, is that they come up with rules for their the chapter and for the models and for all of these different things that in a vacuum are fair and probably balanced um, and uh, while also being like fluffy for the whatever they are however sometimes you get these rules interactions where what because you combine this with this with this it multiplies into this massive swing in terms of effectiveness um, that it is probably i really hope unintended um, I, as much as I'm all for everyone getting buffs and sort of the game being improved, uh, this did seem a little much, especially if you take into account the uh, other supplements. As much as they're they're good, they're nowhere on a, this, a similar level. Do you think? Do you think the main issue here is that? GW is not listening to their testers? Um, honestly, I don't think this they, they aren't listening to their testers. I imagine it's actually a lot more of the testers aren't allowed to get enough, um, I guess, different games in with a sufficiently wide variety of uh, lists to be able to provide a good... Um, amount of feedback on how the rules actually work um so based off of my understanding a lot of these guys like okay we're going to take like one of as many different things as possible into a list and just see how it plays and that's what they use to sort of ballpark is this too much um which for a fast and light uh test it works fine but um the thing is it's we aren't seeing like all sorts of different iron hands lists that are overperforming. It's one particular sort of combination, like style of list that relies on a, the interactions between a very powerful shooting base off of your vehicle choices with the character stratagems and other fun stuff that our hands gets. Right. 
And so it sounds, you know, from, from some of the reading that I did over the weekend, um, it's been kind of nice not having events to have to go do. Um, one of the things, there was a good article that's on Frontline Gaming's site, and it was written by, I believe it was Sean Naden. And I think what he was kind of surmising in what he was trying to say was there, there comes a point or there's a point right now where it sounds like the testers or when they were testing, um, I don't know if he was one of them, but when they were testing, um, the, there were concerns that were raised um, and that GW knew, okay, these are, there are issues with the stuff we're introducing that are going to be issues. Now, I like to kind of play devil's advocate here and kind of think about, think about it from the standpoint that the, the folks at Games Workshop are not, for lack of a better term, idiots. They're not going to willy-nilly throw stuff out there and just say, you know what, if it breaks the game, it breaks the game. Because I think that's how they got 7th edition to where 7th edition was, or even 6th edition, editions for that matter from what I've heard. And I didn't play in 6th edition, but the stories I've heard are not good um, in that okay. there, there, were, there were vastly broken amounts of things. So the, the way I look at it is they wouldn't put something out unless their intent was to say, look, we're going to be rolling these updates out for a period of time. Things are going to be out of whack because you're obviously going to have three or four, five or six factions of say space Marines that are going to have all these new rules. And a lot of the other armies aren't going to have those rules yet or, or as many tools as space Marines have just gotten. Um, the, the easiest way I, I thought of this analogy this afternoon. The easiest way to really think about this is if, if you've ever played Magic the Gathering, they have a system of colors for their factions, basically. And you can play with all those factions together. They release their games with a core set, kind of like how Games Workshop did the core indexes all at once for everybody. The... When, when Magic the Gathering has updates rolled out, they have their core set and then they have expansions on top of that and all of the factions get all of their rules all at once. The main difference here is that we look at this like we want to see the balance that Magic the Gathering has. Um, we want to see some of the things that they use or I've, I've seen folks say they want to see the, the testing procedures they use where they like beta period or they, you know, they essentially try to break the game or if there is something that they've introduced, they just ban it. We want to see those things thrown into 40K, but the problem with doing that is that Games Workshop is essentially rolling out individual factions one at a time. So you're not getting everything all like we did with the indexes. And if you look at how thin the indexes were in terms of the, the amount of rules that they had for the units, this is one of the things that I think everybody was kind of like, all right, we, we're going to have to wait until the codexes come out. And for the past two years, we, we went through that cycle. Right now, it's very much like Games Workshop is taking 40K from level one or level two to level three. So if level one was basically your indexes, level two is you've got your codex, now they're going to level three. And 
with Space Marines being the only army that's in that level three territory, there's not much else in the game that can really stand on a fair footing against that if that is where the bar is going to be. Um, the other thing you can remember is when the game first came out, 8th edition, Space Marines were kind of the measuring stick for everything. And even if you were to ask Games Workshop's designers, a lot of the basic rules that other armies get are all relative to, or their points and everything else are relative to the baseline, which is, you know, your standard Marine. Um, when, when we now take an army and put them up into that next echelon, we're obviously going to have this period where things are just completely out of whack and it's going to take some time for the rest of the armies to get their updates. The, I guess the thing I don't get too worked up about is looking at it. Like if we start making changes right now without that context, when the new stuff comes out, you're not actually going to have a balanced game, right? You have to, you have to take everything into context and that, you can't look at it from the filter of, well, if space Marines are this good and everything else of being on level two is not as good, then you nerf space Marines now and roll everything else out. Now everything else is better than space Marines. Right. And that's kind of where we, where we landed before this update um, where space Marines had been, very stale maybe that's the right way way to put it where they had fallen behind the power creep with everything else being introduced because they were one of the early codexes and you know the vigilist series books were really just a uh, a way to start to introduce some of the things that they had planned in this massive release so mike i don't i don't know how what your take on that is or whether that makes sense or not in trying to i don't know kind of describe what's happening right now without a sense of you know gw is ruining the game yeah so my general take on it is that i agree that um for the vast majority of the new space band releases they're they are better in most respects than their other army counterparts um i do think that Iron Hands, probably they weren't expecting to be quite this dominant in this sort of early phase. And uh, they'll probably adjust that. Because um, I've, I've actually, the thing that on top of the um, new rules coming out, uh, several of the units involved in that list also got points adjustments to make them more uh, affordable to put into a list. Um, and so I think that until all of the effectively codexes get brought into the new sort of codex format where we have all these different tools, stratagems have gone through rewrites and all of that, it, you can't really make changes to a moving target. Um, instead, you should wait to see sort of how everything falls and then make adjustments to it, which is sort of where we've been at in the sort of post everyone getting their first generation codex. Um, and I, I do uh, definitely agree with the sentiment that uh, we should sort of adopt a wait and see as opposed to um, start doing, doing, trying to push for anything rash. 
Yeah, because obviously we're we're on the doorsteps here of chapter approved for 2019 um, or 2020. I, I forget how they do it, whether it's uh, the, it'd be 2019. 2019. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously we're, we're on the doorsteps of that. And I think a lot of folks are looking at that saying, well, I don't expect a lot in there or Marines aren't going to get addressed in chapter approved. That's probably okay. I mean, Marines, remember Marines don't, the army that is really strong or the army that you're looking to see adjustments made to, you don't always have to fix those problems by, by making changes to that army. You can you can actually fix them by making changes to other armies, um, you know, making other things stronger, uh, making other things more viable. We've got, I mean, not that we can really get into it, but they've they've got a whole new set of updates coming out for Eldar that a lot of that stuff can change if point values get adjusted or, um, you know, they they introduce something army wide for everybody in chapter approved. We just don't know at this point to, you know, to judge an, an unfinished piece of work here or body of work that I, I think chapter approved is going to have a lot of stuff in it that we're just not, we're not considering and we just can't consider because they've done a really good job of just keeping that stuff kind of under, under tight, tight wraps. So one thing I would like to bring up, Mike, what are they going to do with Marines? like your normal mar tactical Marines and your chaos space Marine, maybe that's the bigger problem right now is the chaos space Marine derivatives. Cause if you look at it, the, the landscape right now, look at the, if we just take a look at a, an intercessor squad and the cost of a basic intercessor squad and what they can do with doctrines and their chapter, um, you know, bonuses and you compare them to, you know, say, chaos space marines or you know rubric marines for that matter you've got a pretty big issue here where at least from if you were to look at it from the imperium side of things they can they can say okay we're phasing out the old the, the tactical marines they're just gonna kind of die off right yeah. whereas whereas on the chaos side you don't have that option right you, there's nothing for them to die off into which is kind of why they've refreshed the chaos space marine models so, but you're still left with this weird conundrum where if i look at the prices of what i'm getting with an intercessor squad versus say a chaos space marine squad there's something not all that in balance there right yeah um though i think the unit to look to in regards to how they're going to sort of resolve that particular conundrum is Havocs. So the new Havocs are effectively better Chaos Space Marines. They've got higher toughness, they have some special rules that allow them to do their job a little better, but they're still priced very affordably compared to like a Hellblaster before you take in the, or Intercessor before you take the um, heavy weapon into account, of course. And I think that's the direction they kind of need to go is I'm actually, I'm fine leaving them as sort of a one wound army um, on their like infantry, um, but give them some tools to really let them function above where they currently operate. I mean, the, the only thing that um, chaos space Marines currently have going for them is that you can, 
effectively run assault troops in uh, cheap assault troops as a troops choice um, and give them two special uh, effectively three special weapons with the compi weapon uh, which is something that um, regular marines can't do but it's difficult to put a list into place that sort of leverages that um, plus uh, most of the chaos space marine vehicles are of the older generation of vehicles, not even with the full options that loyalists have. And so really what they need to do if they want to sort of alleviate the chaos versus Imperium problem of the Imperium gets all the, effectively Imperium is going to get good choices every edition, possibly more than one phase of choices. (laughs) Um, Whereas chaos Oftentimes, you'll get one or two small releases, but there hasn't been a major chaos revamp until very recently, and they didn't even really change that much. They changed Havocs, they changed Obliterators, and then they released a couple of new HQs. But that doesn't doesn't bring them where they need to be uh, in regard to, well... Why do you, so? I guess why even play Tower Eldar? You can play Imperial Marines, and uh, now all of your vehicles fly, and they have more guns. They have all right. these special rules. I, I kind of feel that Marines have sort of taken everyone's sort of defining traits and made them their own. Which I mean, it's it's good narratively, I suppose. They're supposed to be the sort of extremely versatile strike force however it from a gameplay perspective it doesn't help much um and yeah. i, I kind of feel that they're they sort of shot themselves in the foot in regards to yeah marines are awesome but what about everyone else yeah they there definitely is that that issue i don't know whether it boils down to the just it wasn't communicated clearly mm-hmm. that you know if they had just come out and said look guys here's where eighth edition is, you know, it's, it's been a good ride. I mean, up until, if we go up until the space Marine lease or release, it's actually been really good. Um, the balance has been good. They've done a good job releasing updates, staying on top of FAQs. Um, there have been, sh- you know, armies that shine armies that don't, you know, it's okay. There, there's generally been pretty good stability throughout the game. Um, I think where they dropped the ball, in my own opinion, is that they didn't come out and clarify if, if this was their plan to say, look, this is where 8th edition is. It's time for us to introduce some of the things that we've been wanting to get to. Um, it means that we're going to be, you know, introducing some new powerful, you know, rules for, say, all armies. Um, and the first release here is going to be for Space Marines, right? Um, just setting that expectation that this is what we're going to be doing, I think would have at least put a little bit of the hysteria we're seeing at the moment to, to ease a bit. I think there, you will always have the people that just will, will, you know, pitchfork and riot because, you know, they've, they've changed the game and my friend now showing up with his iron hands just completely wastes me off the table every single game. Um, yeah, though I think to a degree they, well, to a degree they've made it so that Space Marines, right now, like if you if you take Space Marines out of the equation and put all the other armies together playing each other, it's generally a pretty good balanced game, 
and it's really only space marines at the moment that have been kind of upgraded and that's kind of the the wrench right now that if you're if you're playing a game with a friend my opinion is just like we just talked about wait until the rest of the stuff comes out or at least until your army gets its gets its stuff before you try to go toe and toe toe to toe with this stuff yeah though i think i will say again though i think the main problem is just with that one particular um combination of units i don't think if somebody took a sort of a more traditional space marine list and didn't castle up like that you'd yeah. have the anywhere near the same level of um angst that we're currently getting well yeah there's going to be definitely i think with iron hands there's definitely going to be some updates because even if even if you compare them to the rest of the space marine legions there's there's clearly something that's not quite settled there that will take some tweaking to bring them more in line with what is going on in the rest. And just like they've done with the command point batteries that we saw um, with the Knights, um, mm-hmm. just like we saw with um, charges or, or, or the, the charge rule where they, they tried to change that when there's something significant that I don't want to say it's abusive, but it's, a significant advantage yeah, in the game that they didn't intend to have there then i they've done they've had good they've had a good track record in eighth edition of correcting that correct but not to beat a dead horse here but on the on the getting back to the chaos marines and you know everything else i do i do still think that if i put my uh, thousand suns hat on i'm looking at a squad of rubric marines I, I don't know what you do to br- to bring them up. I, well, we have to wait until Psychic Awakening comes out, right? We have to wait until there's that next series of content that's coming for Thousand Suns, and you know, if if it's if it's anything like what we've seen so far, it could be a significant amount of new stuff, stratagems, those kind of things, and that's probably a good segue for us, Mike to kind of open up now and what do we think is you know based on what we've seen so far what do you think is coming in psychic awakening for thousand suns so my um so we know what eldar are getting um with the new books they're effectively getting options and uh they have some small uh unit adjustments for some characters and some new models. So I think it, Thousand Suns should expect something similar with perhaps the introduction of uh, perhaps the Colts um, to provide a little bit of extra, um, like some small bonuses for playing Thousand Suns a certain way, um, perhaps additional psychic discipline um, for Thousand Suns and or Chaos. Um, and perhaps even a new unit, um, which would be nice, perhaps a psychic vehicle of some variety. Psychic Dreadnought would be nice. Or just the Assyrian. Can we, can we have that? Yeah, um, I'm with you on that. <laughs> but um, otherwise, it's a little too early to say exactly what they'll give Thousand Sons. And listen to me, like, yes, they're, we're definitely getting this. 
but I think given what we've seen out of previous supplements and a thousand suns got passed over in Vigilus, um, the, there's definitely should be something um, in the works for them. Yeah. And I, based off what we've seen so far, um, those sort of options seem like it's sort of obvious gimmies. So from what I'm seeing, the, the the thing they're doing is they're they're definitely if you if you step back one of the things they are doing a good job of is updating old models mm. they've updated a lot of the old chaos space marine models this year um, they've updated now in the recent phoenix rising they, they've updated jane czar they've updated drazar um, they're they're addressing these models that have very old um not just old sculpts, but their resin, their their metal, they're phasing those out um, for plastic alternatives. Um, I yeah. look at the Thousand Suns line, and I kind of look for okay, if that's their theme of what they're doing, what in the army is old and needing a refresh? And you know, f- thankfully for us, there's there's not that much in terms of a model that needs refreshing. I think the big thing that does stand out is maybe the uh, the demon prince. And I think that's, I could see something like a, a Christmas release or maybe even early next year, one of the big releases where they release a new demon prince and it's got a Zinch variation, a Nurgle variation, you know, all the different chaos gods. Um, and maybe even one for you know, with, with thousand suns bits or a thousand suns demon prince, that's a little bit more, you know, not just he became his inch demon more. He still has remnants of him showing that he's a thousand suns, um, thousand suns psyker that became a demon prince or something to that extent. And I think that would be, that would definitely be pretty cool. And I think right now with things like your regular sorcerers and your regular, um, like even your Terminator Sorcerer, there's enough good bits between the Scarab Occult kit and the, mm-hmm. um, you know, the old Chaos Sorcerer kit. I could, you know, yeah, I could see them releasing a new Chaos Sorcerer sculpt, but I, I don't know that that's really necessary. I think they could get away with um, that not being the case. And um, they could they could probably just keep going on that route. So I think when I look at that, I think one of the other things they can do are little rules adjustments. Um, so one thing that sticks out to me that I just happened to be thinking about the other day is what happened to slow and purposeful from seventh edition with regards to uh, rubric Marines, where yeah. I, th- I think one thing they could do is just say that rubric Marines have bolter discipline all the time, even if they move, despite the fact that they have a five inch movement. I think that would be a relatively non-game-breaking thing to do yeah effectively change the wording so that instead of uh, always conversationary for heavy weapons it's just always conversationary for shooting weapons as long as they don't advance sure and on top of that uh, you could even probably reduce their price a bit um i could i could see them definitely adding some stuff where we'll get some stratagems or something that work with your rubric marine squads um they definitely need to do something to incorporate soul reaper cannons and more and i mm-hmm. think again that's a that's a little adjustment that can be made that goes a very long way um like in your five-man squad taking a soul reaper cannon all right right you know that that'll be a lot of fun 
Um, beyond that, yeah, I think on the psychic powers, that's definitely within the realm of what they could do. Um, I think they also could do something like what they did with the custodies release where they said, okay, here's a whole bunch of forge world custodies stuff that has beta rules for thousands or for custodies in 40 K where they just port them over. Um, I think they could do something very similar. um, And, and from a sales standpoint, that would be very good for them because I think everybody loves the dreadnoughts. Um, Hellbrutes have their place. but I think the Dreadnoughts even, I mean, even admittedly, if you look at some of the armies that the Games Workshop guys did, they've got Dreadnoughts in their army. And I think what would be, I think what people want is not having to use a counts as rule, which is what we have right now. Yeah. And, and actually have like a true rule, um, being able to have Psyker Dreadnoughts or upgrade them to Psykers with a stratagem or something like that would be awesome. Um, the other obvious thing that's coming, I think we can pretty much hang our hat on this, is that we'll have the ability to take additional warlord traits. Everybody's getting mm-hmm. that today, right? So that, and maybe even having, like we said, the different cults in there and having different relics for the cults, um, things like that would be pretty cool. Yeah. And actually, um, something that'd be kind of cool is, uh, so in 30K, there are several units Thousand Suns get that allow them to effectively um bounce powers off of um like their robots and um to ex- like extend the range or get line of sight on a unit that isn't that currently visible and uh, that would actually be a really interesting mechanic is if for instance you um have a unit that is um carries a relic like or a, a item like that i guess a piece of war gear um that you can use to instead of drawing line of sight and your ranges from your sorcerer draw from that model instead to allow you yeah. to do some uh interesting sort of yeah i guess play with it yeah and uh you also have um there was a there was an article i saw the other day that uh i forget where i saw it but it was essentially pointing out that um, one of the next releases around the corner could be Trader Guard in terms of like a new army uh, because mm-hmm. they've already released, you know, if you look at the, I think it was Blackstone Fortress and some of the other boxes yeah. that have come out through those boxes, you now have the Chaos Cultists, you have these like Negavolt Cultists, you have, you know, all these different new Chaos models um, that I think we can look to see them box these up into um, kits that you can add to your army. So you'll have more chaos-y cultists, like a a cultist model refresh. Um, And then Zangors, you know, they're they're good. Um, Is there anything, is there a chance that Carrick Acolytes in a way could be ported over to replace Zangors? Or, Or sorry, not Zangors, but cultists? I mean, it's possible, though I don't think that will happen. Um, they effectively with Zengors, they've actually um, always existed in 40k. They just never were never represented. Um, whereas cultists are very much a sort of a staple of um, chaos. 40K. In general. Yeah. Um, but what I think they could do is with the sort of the fall of 
the uh, Renegades and Heretics Forge World list and the introduction of these new Chaos Guardsmen from Blackstone Fortress, giving them more weapon options, um, ex- expanding on that would yeah. uh, go a long ways towards helping Chaos compete in a meta where currently a lot of the troops' choices just aren't very competitive. They're very bland, right? You you yeah. just don't you don't have much you can do with them other than fill a spot. And definitely, the trend of Eighth Edition so far has been let's armies have gotten many more tools that become much more Swiss Army. Um, maybe to a degree, Space Marines that's what they do. So you're going to get a lot more of that. But I think when you look at the Space Marines release release and the stratagems and the combinations you have and the you know, the, the, basically if you were to build your army, like we've said before around stratagems, the amount of stratagems that you'd be able to combine together with, you know, the same units now is much more than what it was before. And uh, so your, your options, not just with stratagems, but other stuff. I mean, they can even do things like, um, I think there's a lot of potential with stuff like the special issue war gear that space Marines get. Um, how you can take like with Raven guards and they have Corvidae vaults and things like that, that are really cool. You could, you could do similar things with thousand suns where maybe you take some relics on your Rubik Marines or things like that, that are, that are just cool little upgrades that can, that can make your army a lot more, you know, utilitarian than just this bland, like, well, I have three 10 man cultist squads and they, they go there and sit there and die. Yeah. Whereas if, for instance, you opened up the ability to give them, for instance, a heavy weapon option even, um, like a mortar, Uh, you could camp them on the objective, but they'd still be able to provide a positive um, effect on the rest of the game um, without changing things overly much. I still like your idea you came up with a couple years ago where you would give Thousand Suns, what's that... um, that that artillery piece from Age of Sigmar, but it's like these wizards that call asteroids down. Uh, you'd you'd know this better than me. Oh, um, yeah, like the uh, the what's it? It's a giant astrolab. But essentially, something like yeah, that. Yeah, like a, 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 a like yeah, a big art like psychic uh vehicle type thing that channels powers in an interesting way sort of like a more ranged version of the mutileth vortex beast yeah um yeah or if we're on that topic i mean you could also um there's something not really represented in the game right now which is called an aether ray um if you want to know what one looks like take a look at the um the common Thousand Suns or the Wrath of Magnus, some of the artwork, Magnus riding on a disc of Zinch. Well, that that disc of Zinch that he's on is actually an Aether Ray, which is like a giant disc of Zinch. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of almost to the point where it's like half, my understanding is it's half Screamer, half Demon Engine, more or less. And discs of Zinch are actually Screamers that have ascended in a way. Um, the... The other thing on top of that is uh, the Aether Ray can be like a flyer or something like that, or even something where you can put Magnus on something like that or put your art, like it can carry, I don't know, 10 models on top of it as like an open top transport or something, or it can can carry Magnus the Red, Um, you know, something really cool like that. Um, But the other thing is you can have um, an option for something like, um, what was I thinking? 
of a silver tower. So you could have maybe a flyer, like a dedicated Thousand Suns flyer or something beyond just the Helldrake uh, that could fill that role. Yeah. Um, but I, I think something, a uh, mod, more model releases is good, but really the adjustment of, well, the addition of additional rules options um, would do go the farthest. Um, another thing that they could do is um, effectively redo the, um, well, what is now all is dust, but it used to be a mark of Zinch, um, to just apply um, a, a flat bonus to inborn saves. Yes. Now, and, I think uh, we talked about that a little bit, where you could you could either give things like a five-up inborn um, if they don't have one, and then increase their inborn by one to a maximum of, say, four or three, you yeah. know, if they do have one. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the moment Thousand Suns as much as they're a very powerful defensive army versus certain matchups with the increase in the number of things that deal two damage like hell even regular intercessors now have two damage guns if they really yeah. want them it very much robs one of the most I guess important aspects from the army and the funny thing was anymore? the funny thing is so I was having a discussion in Discord the other day with someone about um the fact that you could you could increase rubric marines to two wounds. But the irony is is I think that would actually make them worse. Because once they're two wounds, now everybody who's got, say, auto cannons or two damage or multiple damage weapons looks at that and says, you know what? That's now a very worthy target for me to put those multi-damage weapons into them to wipe them out and you're just going to lose your your marines or your you know your rubric marines much faster um, because they make that decision a lot easier versus if they're one wound apiece you know a good player still has to make that trade-off and say is it really worth putting you know these guns that would be better placed into something else into just these lowly marines yeah so all right well, I think, I think right now the problem is we've got one release that's come out. We're, we're, we've got a terribly small sample size. We know we can draw some conclusions from what we've seen armies start to get. Um, and these are things that we can start to see um, possibly coming up in Psychic Awakening for Thousand Suns. Um, we'll definitely do another um, uh, episode on this. Um, and you can bet that once we have some of the leaks come out, um, we definitely can address those things. But for now, this is just kind of a sneak peek and early thoughts on on what we think are coming. So, yeah. And with that, it is that time of the month again to take the questions from the community and try and give our best answers for that. So yep. our first question comes from what? Uh, is it is it possible, or do you have any idea how to make rubrics tanky again in the two wound high AP meta? How convenient that we just segued from what we were talking about to that being our first question. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts, Mike? So, I think that uh, much like we mentioned before, um, either make changes to the way that all this dust is currently worded um 
so that it's effectively just a is the old mark of zinch uh, where it just adds to their influence save as a flat modifier as opposed all the time as opposed to a perhaps a modifier on their armor save because as much as the armor save is very beneficial versus low like threat things the problem that that's not what kills thousand suns at the moment it's the fact that everything is like ap3 damage too so you're just getting the five of invuln save no matter how well defended you might otherwise be and then perhaps some additional psychic abilities for instance um a some additional defensive buffs, uh, maybe something similar to what uh, Raven Guard or Death Guard get with the ability to just, well, you're invisible now, um, would be nice. Uh, just like as a old school invisibility power, like what we had back in sixth and seventh. Yeah. Uh, if they brought back, for instance, the Colts. Um, other than that, I really don't. Okay, so I, I guess the thing is, Thousand Suns are reaching the points level where I actually don't think that they need to be super tanky because they're fairly cheap for what you get. The problem, I think, stems from the things that are very good at killing Thousand Suns also happen to be good at killing a lot of the other very sort of popular builds in the meta um, in terms of... Uh, because... Uh, tournaments have a time limit and that's sort of what defines the meta the bringing horde armies where well you want tons of shots uh isn't a really something you see played a lot because nobody will ever finish your games that way um at least if you're playing a army that actually shoots and assaults and does actually interesting things as opposed to just sort of occupy space yep they are probably one of the most tanky units in the game right now for the points you pay. And I think the, the thing I look at is maybe not how to make them more tanky, but more how to make them more punchy. Um, the, the AP2 bolters were great in the early editions of 8th edition, but at this point, um, with everything having invuln saves or higher toughness and, you know, again, the power curve, um, it's probably time to look at their bolters and kind of revisit that and say, you know, do, do they need to maybe get more range? Do they need to have more punch? Do they, you know, need to have some upgrades they can take, things like that to to maybe help them out a little bit. So. Or a option that I discussed previously. Um, make a like a second type of banner that maybe them and Zengors or even Coltus could take that allows you to do that uh, psychic sort of yeah slingshot thing I was talking about. That'd be kind of Yeah, cool. definitely. That would be very cool. All right. Next, looks like we got one from Norag. Norag. Uh, Netter Mizuno. What? Netter. Where's Netter? Oh, Netter. Yes. I see Netter. Netter Mizuno. All right. Take it away. Now, now that you guys have made competitive look at our codex. And in the process, skipped a lot of units. Can you do a more casual look through the codex unit by unit and talk about the strengths and weaknesses of each unit in a semi-competitive, casual, or fluff setting and make some example army builds for those? Yes, we can, in fact, do that. And I think that that would actually be something that would be worth uh, pursuing um, in the future podcast because there 
are some units that we do tend to skip over, mostly because they aren't super viable or are hard to build around. I think it's a great idea. And I also think, uh, think yes, we should do that. All right, Norik uh, has a couple questions. Any tips on how to overcome the large number of snipers, particularly marine snipers? Let's start with that one. All right, so this, my answer is going to ruffle some feathers, but um, that's most because it is counter to pretty much everything we've been told since 8th edition come out. Buy some rhinos. <laughs> so here's the thing. Rhinos get a bad rap because they're kind of expensive. They can explode and kill your characters. They uh, don't necessarily do much, but a naked rhino is affordable-ish, and your opponent has to kill it before they can ever deal any damage to your characters. And so, ideally, what you if your meta is so sniper heavy that your characters don't even get across the table, even if hiding behind cover and pulling every fancy trick you can out of the book, invest in some rhinos. Um, there's really not a, a better option for the points costs. The yeah. the drills are like better on a like actually being able to do stuff, but they're so expensive that they don't really actually fill the same job role as the rhino does. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's a little odd right now because we don't have anything that's infantry that we can put into a drill uh, that can really punch hard enough in combat. Like I think our terminators are what are supposed to do that, but mm -hmm. they don't, they, they don't punch hard in combat. We'll be honest there. They're, they're, they're really only there to, to kill mer one or tactical Marines, basically. That, that's yeah. what they do. I, I kind of feel that the uh, Sekhmet Terminators should get the Grey Knight Terminator treatment and just make their power swords force swords. Hell yes. That would make them actually viable. And they're that would be fantastic. Like similar points cost, as I recall. Yeah. Um, the other thing on the snipers, there are a couple tricks I've heard um, other players do. Um, they actually use the, um, and a lot of times you're, you're deep striking your Zangors. Um, I've heard people actually deep strike their sorcerers. Um, Jim, Jim Bessel and his, his, his list had a lot of uh, psychers hiding behind plague bearers. Um, in the early parts when uh, GSC had come out, the Keller Morph was a big problem. Um, and one of the things he liked to do is deep strike Aramon so that he could, he could guarantee that he could put his, uh, Aramon into cover to get plus one to you know the save against whatever it is that was going to shoot him and it might not be enough to save him every single time but it might be enough to say hey at least I get a six up save to try and save a wound or two and if say five wounds get through and you save one he lives um, that's that's one thing to do but again you have to take them you can't take them on a disc to do that mm -hmm. um, another thing you can do and I think this really only comes into play if you're playing in an area where a lot of your opponents are taking eliminators and things like that. Take demon princes. You've got a four up involm, and on top of that, you've got um, you know a higher toughness, and you are um, you've got enough wounds uh, that you can weather. Um, I don't think one squad of eliminators can kill you, 
Um, I think the main way they're going to get to your demon princes is through uh, mortal wounds. And they're only going to do maybe one or two mortal wounds on you if they can see you. So you can still hide on top of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's probably one of the other things you can do to, to counter that a little bit. Yeah. So, and of course the rhino, the, the rhino advice is good. You get, you get some tactics out of that too. Yeah. And of course the other thing is even despite my uh, previous statement about cover, not really matter. Cover is very important when facing against eliminators. Um, the difference between being in like line of sight and being out of line of sight is that the eliminators deal a D three damage if they can see you, whereas only yes. deal one otherwise. And no mortal wounds when they can't see you either. That's the other thing to remember. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's good to know. Yep. Uh, but Nora Kauso had another question. Uh, which Zinch demons are worth allying in? Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty broad question, uh, but I will say the ones that I can check off the list that are viable. Uh, your heralds are good. Um, your flamers are good. Screamers actually do have niche roles, um, albeit they're not that often found. Um, they're good against like bikers or, you know, maybe we'll see some more play with them now because they're actually pretty good against intercessors and two wound models. They actually will chew through them pretty good. They're pretty strong. Um, and they're relatively cheap from a power level standpoint and point standpoint to, to summon in. Um, and then I think the, the final thing that's pretty good are the horrors. Uh, they just always have good utility to them. Um, other than that, I think if you're going to ally them in and, and put them in a list, um, you know, brimstones give you a cheap battalion with a couple heralds. Um, the heralds are pretty good because they give you access to the Zinch tree, which only our demon princes have access to. And then of course there's the, um, the Lord of change, which I think the, I think he's better to take than Kairos because you can give him the impossible robe and you can make him your warlord to give him a warlord trait where it's minus one damage, uh, to all incoming damage. It makes him super tanky. Um, I don't know that he's quite as tanky in the meta with, uh, the fact that he can't hide, and I think Eliminators, Raven Guard Eliminators, just absolutely tear him apart. But if no one is playing Raven Guard Eliminators around you, he's a great option. It's just a matter of just assessing what you're typically facing. Yeah. And then finally, uh, are Exalted Flamers uh, worth taking uh, because they look great? Uh, and he's proxied them once. But he's not sure if they are worth uh, worth working with. So, personally, I um, I don't think I would ever um, ally in an exalted flamer into a thousand suns list. Um, mostly because they're situationally useful, but there are other units that could perhaps potentially perform better like a regular unit of flamers for instance if you need more shots um however i um when i'm playing thousand suns i keep a i usually keep about 100 150 points free and in those instances i'll have a exalted flamer model on standby that way if i do need an exalted flamer usually for the last cannon shots that it puts out uh, i have it available um it's a very powerful unit. However, it's not 
as durable as I tend to would like, even though it is a character with the prevalence of snipers and how close it has to be in order to use its flame weapon or even the range on the last, the strength nine shots aren't necessarily long enough to necessarily protect it versus fast moving threats. Um, I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't ally one in as a permanent addition to a list. All right. So, man today, uh, what is our army's best answer for gunline armies like Tau without allies? That's probably a very long-winded answer, um, but I seem to recall we did a an entire podcast episode on this uh, earlier this year, where we tackled the gunline and specifically actually going against Tau, who Overwatch like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but effectively a short answer to that question for a more detailed analysis of it. Uh, like I said, we have the po- the previous podcast is you have to play aggressive and you have to be very cognizant of your assault rules and what you're trying to do in order to prevent them from being able to kill you effectively. Um, All right a bad matchup, but there are a number of things Thousand Sons in particular have at their disposal to deal with the solution. Most notably, the uh, shield drones don't actually do anything against psychic powers. Yep. Okay. Alright, so what asked another question about summoning, uh, which is what unit do you like to summon the most, and why is it brimstones, or do you have any uh, tips to help with that? Um, I think, Mike, we've, we've talked a little bit about summoning, but there were a couple of things I figured I'd add here. Um, I think the ideal amount of points to have for summoning is one of two numbers, either 156 points or 180 points. And it really comes down to, do you want wings on your demon prince that you're going to summon or not? Um, if you take 156 points, I think the really, to me, this is the better place because I don't think you need to have a demon prince with wings if you're summoning them because a lot of times the the wings are there to either assault flyers or get it get across the board quickly and into your opponents Um, if you're summoning them you can pretty much already do that Um, i do think that the wings have a purpose so it just depends on what you want to use them in your army for for like assaulting flyers you obviously need the extra points for it Um, the other thing that's nice about that is since all of his weapon options are exactly the same, you can literally have a demon prince with each of those um, kits where it's talon, sword, or the axe. Uh, usually people either take the axe or the talons um, so that if you want the axe so that you can get a little bit better punch against like vehicles or something like that, you can do that and not have to worry about, you know, even though you might subtract one from your hit, you are going to get like flat three damage and minus three AP, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty good. And he already hits on two, so you could counter that with like prescience or something. But in any case, the nice thing about 156 points is that it is enough so that you can fit a full squad of horrors that can get their bonus attacks with an icon, uh, meaning you can start to get them back. You can even split a little bit. Um, It's enough for a unit of screamers uh, where you actually have maybe four or five screamers in there. Uh, Same thing with flamers. You can actually get more flamers in there. Uh, It's enough to pretty much cover a single of anything in the list except for maybe the Lord of Change. 
uh, or one of the other uh, HQ units like Kairos in there. And let's be honest, rolling a 17 to get a Lord of Change is really, really hard. And the extra points you have to set aside to do that, which is, I mean, you're talking about having to get to um, 270 points. So it's almost 100 more points that you have to set aside to pull that off is maybe not quite worth it, in my opinion. You can you can put that into stuff you're more guaranteed to get. So Yeah. And I do think uh, the commentary on the points is very important, but I think overall the most useful units to summon are in fact like in fact horrors or flamers um, mostly because horrors you can summon them in dump them on an objective and now you're freed up to move your more important troops off of the objective um, whereas flamers are one of the few units in the game that have a flamer that actually reaches out beyond eight inches and so you can bring them in and it'll just shoot warp fire all over a unit it isn't usually good enough for a like really tough unit but if you want to be able to like, clear off a unit uh, a weaker unit off of an objective they're a good unit for that now there is there is something you can do mike um when you're talking about um a flamer coming in with 12 inches away um you can also for the same amount of points um or within the realm of points that you need you can get a change caster in there as well. And one of the things the change caster does is he boosts the strength of your flamers uh, because the flamers are strength user, uh, which is kind of one of the nice things. Um, and that, that can help. Um, one of the things you do have the ability to use is I believe there is a stratagem. Um, it might be, you might have to take demons to get access to it, but I think thousand suns might have it. I might be, completely wrong here but they uh what they can do is they can summon again after you've already summoned something so you don't have to use multiple units to do this but maybe you can just do it this way you have multiple units that can summon um, you just have you can't move that's the that's the mm -hmm. downside to it so yeah all right so next question mike forge world dreadnoughts do you run them which ones which loadouts and are they an auto take or not for you so I don't run them because with the exception of my orcs army, I think Forge World units are for sissies. Um, but however, um, the Forge World Contemptors and the Forge World Deridios are very good. Um, butcher cannons are amazing on them. They're a very efficient uh, unit choice. Unfortunately, Thousand Suns, um, the Legion trait doesn't really benefit them very much. Um, so I wouldn't consider them to be an auto take. But if you were to take them, uh, Butcher Cannons would be the way to go. Yep. Just to echo that, I think I think it's auto, an auto take if it's the role they're trying to fill is a back a, a back uh, line firebase of some kind. They're probably the best unit to put back there just based on the fact that they hit on twos. They're tough. They have a five up in bomb, um, and they're cheaper than a predator. Uh, so they, they actually give you a lot more flexibility there. Um, I don't think the last cannon variation is all that bad either. Um, you can put a couple last cannons on there. I think it's like four last cannon shots. You can get out of one of those things hitting on twos that's pretty dang good um aside from that 
yeah, the butcher cannon is a really good option. The the one other option that actually is pretty worth worth it is um, you can actually take a close combat variant. Um, you can kit him out like a um, uh, like a hellbrute. Give him the heavy bolter or the twin heavy bolter, um, and you can actually make that a um, uh, AP two twin heavy bolter. And give them a, a close combat claw and a, and a storm bolter or a flamer of some kind on there. And he's a kind of thing that you can put some buffs on, throw them up into the front lines and let them just, you know, thrash your opponent. Um, you know, it's hard. The delivery mechanism for them is hard because there's really no way for us to deep strike them or get them across the board. That's kind of what we're lacking. Um, I think there's a possibility that you could take something like a storm eagle. I if I remember the word, the rules right on them, they do have the ability to fit a um, like a dreadnought in them. Uh, okay. But I'd have to go back and and look at it. Like dreadnought or hellbrute can go in it. Um, but other than that, um, you know, we really just don't. I mean, you're not going to take a thunderhawk. So let's be let's be real here. Um, there there really isn't isn't that good of a way to get them across the board. And yeah. that's kind of one of the things I hope they give us in um, you know in. Uh, the the psychic awakening a way to you know teleport stuff with psychic powers that would be fantastic yeah i think that'd be a very uh beneficial ability even if it's like tied to a particular cult for instance yep. um, that at least give options yeah all right oh got one from texas well I actually got four from texas dice a fellow uh, texan are over here yeah. All right, number one. Will we try to fit Zeech Demon Princes over Terminator Sorcerers into our lists again because they don't instantly fall over from sniper spam? Yes. Yes. Two. If anything dies turn one against Iron Hand anyways, is there an argument for slamming Magnus back into competitive lists and just try to get lucky? At this point, yes. Um... I'd go with more of a debatable. I would look at your meta before deciding that um, because as much as, well, Iron Hands are going to alpha you off the table anyways, um, other lists might not necessarily be normally capable of that, and so you need to sort of weigh that option. However, it, it is at least back on the table. Yeah, I think if you're, if you're looking at that, you're saying, you know, look, I'll just take the 50-50 if Magnus does get in there and he gets his gateway and his, you know, his big smite off and everything and his all his buffs on him. Um, yeah. I mean, he can get in there and he can absolutely win that game for you or that match yeah. against iron hands. But uh, you know, the chances of that happening, I don't know. I mean, you gotta, you gotta design the rest of the army to be able to help you boost your drop count. And, you know, yeah. are you making trade-offs there? But yeah. All right. Number three, speaking of which, do you think Magnus would be better if he had another order trait instead of the spellbook one? Yes. Yes. Um, we actually talked about that at length in episode 19 of the podcast. The fact that Magnus's warlord trait, while appropriate and fluffy, isn't necessarily a very good warlord trait for him. He also needs stratagems. Mm -hmm. I think there's maybe one that applies to him where you, you boost his psychic power by two with, with a couple thousand suns around him. But there needs to be more utility with him. I mean, he's the he's the damn leader of the army, right? I mean, he needs yeah. to have some way to, to survive when he's on the table. It's not like, you know, he shows up to every battle in the fluff and it's just kind of like, well, okay, Magnus is dead right away at the opening stages of the battle. I mean, he's kind of the one who carries the army. So he should, 
be represented that way, but he's not the only thing with that problem. Yep. All right. Number four, are Zangor still good? And now that the CP reroll plus gaze of fate reroll was errated concerning Aiden's charges. I am not familiar with what he's referring to there. All right. So for clarification, uh, in the FAQs, when they came out, um, we saw this a lot more on the competitive scene. What it basically was, was you had the option with Gaze of Fate where you could, what it said is you could re-roll a single dice roll. And the whole issue contention was around what was a dice roll? Was it 2d6? Was it 1d3? Was it, you know, 1d6? I mean, what constituted a single dice roll? Uh, they reworded that with a, with a clarification in there to basically just say that um, you now can only re-roll one of the dice. So what players were doing was they would get Gaze of Fate and they would use Gaze of Fate to basically re-roll their full charge if they needed to. One or both of the dice. Or sorry, they would use Gaze of Fate to re-roll both of the 2d6, saying that 2d6 was the dice roll. And if they didn't need to re-roll both, like they had a six in there, they would use the command re-roll to re-roll the other one. Now that that's been eroded, the question is, are they still worth taking? And in my opinion, they are. The, the fact that they can't make their charges easily uh, doesn't make them any less potent on the table. And they serve a pretty good role of just harassing your enemy, getting to their front line, and keeping stuff off your, your rubric marines. Yep. All right. Got another one from what? Uh, what's your favorite Demon Prince proxy kit bash? Is the first part of his question. All right. Mine, I'm actually, I'm kind of lame. I like the Demon Princes the way they are. Uh, I'm not that big of a fan of taking the Morgasts and putting them up there and going, hey, these are my Demon Princes. Partially because so many people do it, but the other part is they they look dumb to me. Um, mm-hmm. They're just they're they're ghost skeletons, not you know. And our demon princes are not ghost skeletons. We're not tomb kings in space. We are thousand suns. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a little bit more of a purist from that standpoint. I do like some of the creature caster yeah. uh, demon princes that they have. They're they're pretty dang awesome looking. But again, the problem I run into is that from I, I get a little bit OCD and that, you know, that kind of doesn't fit with the, the, the detail you get on those things are, is so high and so good that it's just, it stands, it stands out as, out. Out, yeah, it's out of place with the rest of the stuff. But what's your take, Mike? My favorite conversion um, is actually the Ogroid Thaumaturge. Um, if you uh, convert him, give him wings, uh, makes for a very nice... Uh, converted demon prince. All right, I don't know Age of Sigmar. Is he part of the Zinchakl or the Zinch army in Age of yes, Sigmar? Yes, he is. You know what's going to be hilarious hmm. is if in Psychic Awakening they make him part just, of the army, yeah. and all these folks that have used him for their demon princes are going to be like, oh, that would be pretty awesome. All right, uh, moving on. The uh, next portion of what's next question is uh, number two: the favorite General Zinch Thousand Suns kit bash. Official or third party, doesn't matter. Favorite general. What's my favorite yeah, yeah, kit so bash, we'll, basically? Kit bash in Thousand Suns overall. All right. When they rolled out uh, the Thousand Suns Codex, one of the things they did on the community 
the, the Warhammer community site was they showed all of the, they showed an army of one of the, I think of one of the designers, um, mm -hmm. Thousand Sons, which was done to the scheme of um, the classic Thousand Sons colors, but with like lots of, you know, bluish, bluish work done to them and i think basically that guy's whole army the conversions he did in there you can look at any of them and those are without a doubt my favorite um maybe the one that takes the cake is the knight tyrant or the chaos knight tyrant with the two uh sorcerers sitting where the the top guns were and some yeah. of the other work that was done there that was pretty cool um i don't know but there's there's a lot that are done out there zinch zinch is actually pretty pretty good for kit bashing my my personal favorite uh, kit bash I've seen, and I've actually cribbed off of some of it before, is uh, Duncan's uh, Thousand Suns Cultist conversion Ooh, um, yeah. using the Gene Stiller cult bodies with Caldor bits and some little like fiddly bits off of the Zengor kit. Looks really good and really spot on. Um, it is actually a fairly, as far as conversions go, inexpensive conversion. Um, it only doubles the cost of the model as opposed to like triples it. <laughs> All right. Um, next I think question. The next one we got is Crocodactyl. Uh, it's not really a question. Well, his last sentence is a question though. So it I is. like this one. But they did recommend uh, that they would like to see us do an episode on hobbying. Uh, mm -hmm. some of the common techniques and things that we've kind of learned with working with Thousand Sons. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, but alternate, alternatively, what models do you regret purchasing the most? I like this question. <laughs> well, uh, David, do you want to start first? Yeah, because <laughs> let's just get right to the point. The Mutalith Vortex Beast. Uh, I jumped in hand over fist. I bought three of them. Oh. And they've never seen the table since one basically they they don't see the table ever and i've tried so many times to make them work and every time i do it sucks all right so, so the models i regret purchasing the most is all the models that i bought on the spur of the moment that i never painted that's a lot though isn't it not as much as you might expect um there are plenty of models that i bought with like a plan for an army or a list or conversion that i just never got around to doing but literally a this is so cool for an army I don't even play. And the wind up's like, why did I buy this? Yeah. Like I have a, a bunch of I think of we've all done that, right? That was just, I've been sitting, taking up space in my apartment. It's like, wh why did I think this is a good idea? <laughs> all right. Another question from Space Marine. What is some good advice for running the Demon Prince? In my games, my Demon Prince frequently either ends up being a pretty paperweight in the back or he magically does almost nothing when he hits my leg. I think if he's, it probably is tough to give you a good answer on that because Demon Princes play a little bit differently than your sorcerers because enemies or opponents will size them up as a bigger threat. And so I think. I think I look at him, I don't know about you, Mike, but the, the way I use them is I tend to use them as cleanup. And so yeah. they're not targetable, so I keep them back out of way. Um, I keep them positioned such that they can't charge them. Uh, so I, I, if I'm playing a Blood Angels player or someone with Smash Captains, I, I think very methodically about where I put my Demon Prince because that's the prime target for that Smash Captain. And I try to set myself up so that 
he's the counter and he basically keeps you from getting in to combat because you're going to have to face those in the following phase. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I effectively, I use my demon princes as a combination of they back cleanup for the rest of my army, sort of um, anything that needs to be dealt with uh, in a fairly quick manner. I'll throw a demon prince at it while keep them sort of in safety before that. Also, they're a very good bully unit. Um, they get just enough attacks that they can fly up a building, kill the squad at the top of it, and then next turn come back down, and you don't lose much from that interaction. Yeah. Um, and so the Demon Prince is a, because of the flexibility it offers, is actually a very difficult unit to use extremely well all the time. Good question. All right. Yeah, very good question. Uh, Smisky um, is our next question. Um, even though it's not related to Thousand Suns, you'd like to know our op opinions about how Brexit and etc. would could affect Games Workshop and Warhammer prices. Uh, Smisky, your guess is as good as mine, man. I have no idea. I actually have a uh, idea here. Oh boy, um, he's going in. Okay, so effectively. If you live in the UK, you're probably going to see some like fluctuations in prices because of the changes to the tariffs and incoming goods. Um, same thing if you live in Europe or possibly Asia, um, where because the most of the models for them come out of the UK directly, you'll be seeing additional tariffs, and so that could um, result in a price hike. Uh, in the U.S., we won't notice any problems whatsoever because they opened up, man they have manufacturing in the U.S., and uh, the only way that we would be affected by that is if um, GW increases their prices overall to reflect the prices globally. Ha-ha. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. So we had one last question, Mike, um, that was actually asked by Zenerite. Um He's wondering what happens if Aramon reaches his goals of godhood. How borked is the galaxy at that point? Well, my theory is that uh, would th should that occur, the um, it would turn out that Aramon was Zinch the entire time. Um, so the, the the thing that's important to know is that um, the chaos gods um, have always existed, um, even though there are. Effectively, the, the point where they're created, they have always existed and will always exist. Um, it's just this weird warp shenanigans thing. And so I think that were Aramond actually pulled off, it would just be revealed that, oh, well, I was actually a Chaos God all along. I just didn't know it yet. That would be pretty funny, actually, and very much in the in the MO of uh, how Zinch works. Yeah. On that note, I'm wondering if we forgot something, as usual. Um, well, we're out of questions, so what, what, what could it be? Uh, well, we got one more question, actually. Um, did Magnus do anything wrong? No, Magnus did nothing wrong. All right. Until next time.